Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. We're in week chapter 6. Like I said, I won't be long today, but there is a few things that I want to share with us that I think is applicable to where we're at today as a church. So we're beginning the story, week number 6, the the name of this um, the name of this week is the wandering, and I want to just give you a bit of a, a preview of what we've talked about in the previous weeks. So when we first started in week number one, we began with God. We always begin with God. God is a sovereign creator of all things. We see this in the opening chapters of Genesis that Almighty God creates the universe in all of its splendor, in its glory, in its vastness. God begins to speak into creation all things. But along with creating universes and galaxies and, and the earth and the mountains and the, and the waters and everything in it that's beautiful, he creates humankind, man and woman. And we see this from the very beginning as well, that humankind, that mankind is sinful. They don't want to do what God has asked them to do. They reject God's loving care over their lives. They say, you know what, we're going to do things our own way. And so we see that mankind is sinful, yet, yet, loved by God. Loved by God, so much so that we see this, that God is on a rescue mission to redeem the very people who have rejected him. That God is on mission, God is on a rescue mission to redeem the very people who have tried to keep him at a distance and reject his, his rule over their lives and reject his care over their lives, God's on a rescue mission to redeem people. Now, in week number five, man, I can smell those hamburgers right now. Do you guys smell that? Right? I've got to hurry, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm losing people by the minute. I'm losing you guys. I know it. I'm losing myself. I'm like, okay, we're, let's talk about the hamburgers. I mean, the, let's talk about the week number five. Okay. If you want to turn back to page number 59 or Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6, we see God's plan in redeeming people, okay? God says this to, to the people of Israel who are, who are his people. He says, look, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out with great signs and wonders and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He's beginning to describe the redemption of, of God's people. Then he goes in to say this, Now if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, there's a requirement. God's saying, look, I have redeemed you, but now there has been a requirement. But now we get to the reward. Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, although the whole earth belongs to God, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God said, although everything belongs to me, you will be a treasured possession. You will be a holy nation. I've called you unto myself for a purpose. Now, when we fast forward a few thousand years into the New Testament, we see this very same thing being echoed again by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You don't have to turn there, but this is what it says. He says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
And here's the reason, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That God has called us here at Mercy Hill Church for a purpose. That we would be his royal priesthood. That we would be the mouthpieces of God in his hands and feet to the people around us. That no matter what we've done or where we've gone, that somehow God would be able to use us as his treasured possession to declare his praises in redeeming a lost and dying world. That's what God is doing. He is calling us. He is calling you and I his treasured possession. A holy nation to declare his praises to the earth. Now, the rest of this story, we're going to see the Lord working this through in his people over and over and over again. God's got a purpose. God just doesn't want some people to behave well and put them on display. He's saying, look, I've got a purpose in all of this. I'm going to refine you. I've got a purpose for you. That you wouldn't just be a trophy on a shelf, but that you would be my very people to declare and magnify the greatness and glory and redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. That's been his plan all. It hasn't changed since the Israelites were wandering in the desert. It hasn't changed in the New Testament. It hasn't changed today. It is still God's one continuing, ongoing plan of redemption that he would use his people to declare his praises be the means by which people would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the call that is on each and every one of your lives. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, it is for this very purpose that you would be his redeeming people called to redeem other people around you. That is what God's called us to do. Okay, now let's get back to week number week chapter week six. The wandering. So this week we're looking at the wandering of God's people in the desert. Does not sound like a very fun chapter, does it? The wandering. Like that's oh wow, that's great. The wandering. It just sounds so blah. Now, I don't know about you, but family road trips when we were when I was a child went something like this. We'd get in, we'd all load up in this family station wagon because we, we had the wagon. And my brother David would be able to bring a friend, and I would be able to bring a friend. Well, I would always invite Ryan Heath, and my brother would invite someone else, and we had my younger brother, Josh, who didn't get to invite anybody. I don't know why, but he just never got to invite anyone. And as soon as we got into the car, this, the wagon had this huge rear end of the wagon, right, with all this space, and there was the middle row, and then there was the front row. Well, my mom and dad were in the front, and somehow we'd cram all the boys in the, in the, in the, the middle row. And as soon as we got in the car, there would be packs that would be made, alliances formed. It didn't matter who, who your friend was that you went with. What mattered was is who was going to be on your side, who could, who could share the most snacks with you in the time of need. And so it didn't matter if Ryan and I kind of went to the trip together. It was like, hey, well, if, if my brother's friend can help me out, well, then I'm going to make my pact with him. And so it was like a, it was like a, a show of Survivor in the back seat of the station wagon. And so we, the, the, the alliances would be formed, the, the covenants would be drawn up, and people would begin to, to deal. And then my mom would take the one bag of pretzel rods and hand them back. 
because for this whole eight-hour trip, the only snacks we had was one bag of pretzel rods, okay? So as soon as those pretzel rods hit the, hit the middle seat, all chaos ensued. There was anarchy. People are, people are fighting. There, there's arguing, bickering. I mean, it was, it was, it was violent. And so one person would have the bag, and they're eating as fast as they can. Because once that bag left your hands, it wasn't coming back to you again. It was gone. The, the pretzels were all gone after it left your hand. So one person's eating as furiously as they can while two of the guys are working over his teammate in the back seat of the car. My brother would just jump back there, and he'd start fighting too just because he wanted to. And it, it was just chaos. And my mom would look back and say, guys... We haven't even left the driveway yet. <laughs> this is unbelievable. It's just some pretzel rods, right? Well, if you can imagine Moses on this road trip with three million people, and they've got to go through the wilderness, and they have to go through the desert, you can imagine what was about to happen, okay? So we're not going to start at the very beginning of this chapter, but I'm going to give you just a brief glimpse, Okay. So the first thing is we start off this wonderful chapter is we see the people begin to complain about their hardships. We don't like it here. It's too hot. It's, we don't have enough to drink. The, the, my, it just, it's just one hardship after the next for the people. They begin to complain and argue and fight. Well, then they move on to complaining and arguing about the food. Because we don't, want the, we don't like the food that we're eating now. We're in the desert, and the, we don't like what we're eating, and we want more. Back in Egypt, we had better food, and, and why are we even out here? And then we move on to Aaron and Miriam, who were Moses' brother and sister, begin to complain and fight about Moses. Moses, why do you get to call the shots? What about us? How come you're the guy who God always goes to? And aren't we important too? And all of a sudden, there's this one level of fighting and, and disagreement after the next, over and over and over again. And so you can see this is not going well. This is a road trip gone bad, okay? How bad, we're going to find out real soon. But if you want to turn with me over to page 74 in the story, or if you're following along in, in, in your Bible, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 13, we're going to begin to skip around a little bit, so you're going to have to follow if, you're, if you've got your Bible. And my dear friend Anissa is going to help us as we begin to read in page 74. And we're going to start today at the bottom of page 74, the last paragraph. We're going to read for about a page and a half. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rahab toward Lebo Hamath. 
When they reached the valley of Eskol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. At the end of 40 days, they returned from, the ex- from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is, or here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. And we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak from the Nephilim. We seemed... We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly. Assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Japanah, who were among us, who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, and a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Thank you, Anissa. Here they are, the the people of God. Now, you have to remember, God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt to bring them into the promised land. And in this chapter, we're at the very threshold of all that God has called them out of Egypt to do. They're at the threshold of the promised land. So he's brought them out of slavery, and he's going to bring them into the promised land. That's been his plan all along. This is the way that God works. God doesn't just bring us out of something. He brings us out of something to bring us into something. He brought them out of slavery to bring them into the promised land. He didn't leave them right where they were. He said, no, I've got bigger plans for you. I'm going to bring you into the promised land. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2. The apostle Paul's talking about God's people. He says, look, God has brought you out of the kingdom of darkness so that he can bring you into the kingdom of light. He's brought you out of the kingdom of Satan to bring you into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's not only a bringing out of something, there's a bringing into something. And so after seeing all the miraculous and the glorious and the majestic things that God Almighty has done, 
with the, with the children of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt and all the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea and God's provision of food in the wilderness and all these things that's happened to the Israelite people, they now come to the very threshold of all that God's prepared for them and they look and they see giants and fortified cities and they say, there's no way this can possibly happen. Now, they're looking at the, the fortified cities and the giants and all those kinds of things. Those are, those are true things. They weren't exaggerating. They weren't, they weren't pretending like there's these monsters under their bed and they really wasn't. They're saying, look, there are fortified cities there. And there was. Look, there's giants in the land. And there was. There's a people too numerous for us to attack. And that really was the case. I mean, they were being completely honest with their confession of what they saw in the land. However, their conclusion was all wrong. They sent in 12 spies. The 10 spies says, therefore, we're done. Man, we are, we are grasshoppers in their eyes. We're going to get smashed. Man, these cities are way too fortified for us. There's no way this can ever possibly happen. There isn't, a, there isn't a soul in the world that's going to be able to take these cities and these giants and these people and, and all the land... We are done for after seeing all that God had done for them. They now come to the conclusion that this is impossible, that this is not going to happen. Even though these were legitimate concerns, they came to the wrong conclusion. And really when you think about it, that God had been with them every step of the way. They left Egypt as slaves. They left Egypt never lifting a finger against the Egyptian army. They, they left Egypt completely unharmed. They left Egypt with all the plunder of Egypt, never doing anything. Yet God had provided for them so faithfully time and time again. And as they looked forward, they said, there's no way at this point God can possibly help us. For us at Mercy Hill, there's a new season here. There's a new season, and I believe for us, it's this, we have, we have looked, I believe, at just what God has given us in this region. But I believe, and we have given to the international missions. But I believe here at this next season at Mercy Hill, God is not only calling us to continue to give towards international missions, but he's calling us to go. And there is every reason why you should not go. We don't have enough money. We have too many kids. I can't get off work. I have to burn too many vacation days. I can't, I can't switch around my work schedule with other people at work. There's no way that we're going to be able as a family to, uh, to have mom or dad gone for a week or two weeks if you're going to India. There's no way that any of this could possibly work. We can't, we can't even, how are we going to get the money to go? There's every reason in the world why you should not participate, why you should opt out, why you should stay back and stay on the bench. There's every reason in the world except, except that God may be calling you to go. And what I'm asking for us in this season is to ask this question. I'm not saying everyone has to go, but I want us to be faithful to do this. God, to ask God this question. God, are you calling me to go? And for some, the answer will be no. I'm not calling you to go. But for some, he will say, yes, I am calling you to go. 
And for all of us, we're all going to participate in this. We are either going to go ourselves, we're either going to help other people to go, or we're going to give finances and resources so that the people going are able to go. I believe that's God's call for us in this season. Is we're going we're gonna to lift our eyes beyond northwest Indiana and we're going to look to the nations. We're going to ask God to see him at his work all over the world. We've got two trips to Bolivia, one in, one in February, one in, in somewhere around 4th of July, the week after or the week before, and a two-week trip to India in October. Now, these trips are not cheap. They're not going to be easy. They're not going to be this time of just kind of hanging out and doing your own thing. God is going to lay on some of your hearts that you need to go. And you will have every opportunity to say to God, but hold on a second, God. Hold on. The, the cities are too big. There's giants in the land. The cities are fortified. But, but we're like grasshoppers. I mean, how am I ever going to be able to do that? There's no way this is possible for us. Look at our family. Look at the needs that we have. Look at the expenses that we have. God, there's no way this should happen. And God may yet be calling you to trust him in ways that you've never trusted him before. There's a lot of people in here who God is calling to go. And I, and I am asking you to ask this question of the Lord. God, are you calling me to go? God, are you asking me to participate at this level at this time? Okay, can we do that? Just take a moment. Lord Jesus, God, we are asking you right now, Lord, would you have me go? God, would you have me to go? God, we ask you this now. We'll continue to ask you. God, until we, until we know what you're calling us to do. And God, there's a million reasons why we shouldn't go. God, we've got all kinds of excuses. We've got all kinds of things in our lives. We're busy. We're broke. We've got too many kids. We've got mortgages. We've got car payments. We've got all kinds of things going on, God. There's no way we should possibly go unless, unless you are calling me to go. And if that's the case, God, we will say yes to you. God, we will say yes to you. God, help us to hear your voice. Amen. Now, I want to finish with this. There's more here. I've got to move on pretty quickly. I want to, I want to just end with this last scene in the desert. And what happens from this point is the people say to God, they say, Lord, we're, this isn't going to work. We're not going to go into here. And God says, you won't, but your kids will. And he sends them 40 years of wandering in the desert because of their unbelief. God didn't say, well, you're right. There's, there's big cities. There's giants. Why don't you spend 40 years and that time will give me some time to kind of bring the walls down a little bit and maybe take care of some of the giants. God says, no, your kids will enter that enter that same place and they'll take it over but you will not see the fruit of all of, the, all of this your kids will but you won't so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years and while they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years we, we come across this section it's on page number 80 this is found in numbers chapter 21 this is verses 4 through 9 this is just a really interesting section of scripture that i wanted just to highlight and we'll end with this This is what we see on page 80. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? 
There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food, right? So God's been giving them manna to eat. And they said, we detest God's provision of food for us. We hate this miserable bread. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord would take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, now get this, this is what the Lord says, make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. What a really, really fascinating section of scripture. This doesn't happen at any other point. The people of God are never told to make some kind of animal and put it on a stick and have people look at it. I mean, this is just a one-off kind of thing. But I want us to turn our attention for a moment to John chapter 3. Because in John chapter 3, which is the most well-known passage of scripture, we see Jesus referencing this particular incident in the wilderness. So in the most, in the most well-known passage of Scripture, John chapter 3, we read this. This is, this is verse 14. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who is a religious leader. And as, he's, as he begins to describe to Nicodemus the need to be reborn, the need for new life, saying, look, if you want to come to salvation, if you want to know God, you must be born again. There's no other way. Nicodemus has no clue what he's talking about. You're talking about I have to be born again is through my mother? He said, Jesus, no, no, no. Born by the Spirit of God. There is no salvation apart from the new birth. We must be born again. And this is what Jesus says. Just as Moses lifted the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save it through him. And Jesus somehow is connecting what he is about to do on the cross in paying for people's sins with this episode with Moses and the serpents, as, as another translation says, these fiery serpents. Jesus connecting these two things, saying, look, just as this happened, so I must be lifted up. See, the snakes were the punishment for the people's sins. The people had rebelled against God, said, why did you bring us out here again? They're complaining, they're arguing with God, they're demanding God give them a reason and provide for them. And God brings judgment upon the people, through the fiery serpents, through the snakes. And so God tells Moses then to make, this, make, a, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, put it up in the air. And for everyone who's been bitten, you can look at this snake and live. See, the snake was a symbol of God's judgment against the people. The snake was a symbol of God's judgment for, for their sin. They had to look upon the very thing that they had, they had caused themselves. They had sinned against God and the snake was the, was the punishment for their sins. And as they looked upon this serpent, 
they were given life. In the same way with Jesus Christ. He has taken our sin and our rebellion upon his body. When we look to Jesus Christ, we look face to face with all that our sin has has accomplished. That our sin has put Jesus Christ on the cross. He was crucified not for his sin, not for his disobedience. He never sinned. He never disobeyed. He was a perfect obedience to God in all of his life. And as he went upon the cross, he took all of our sin upon his body. As we look face to face with him who bore our sins, we see the effect of our sins, and we come face to face with that, and we own that, that that is my sin upon the cross. Just like they had to look upon that thing and say, That's, that is the cause of my sin. They were given life. In the same way as Jesus Christ was lifted upon that cross for our sins, as we look to Jesus Christ, we are given new life again. That his sin, that our sin was put upon his body. And that in turn, we are given his righteousness. It's not just that we are brought out of sin, but we are brought into his righteousness. He brought us out for a reason, to bring us into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you have been born again, if you have looked upon Jesus Christ and have trusted him for the salvation of your soul and the forgiveness of your sin, you have been brought to new life. You've been given hope. You've come face to face with your sin. And you've asked God for forgiveness. New life has happened. You're not the same. You've been brought out of sin and brought into righteousness. So I look at the lower story, upper story, and our story. The lower story is this. We see complaining, fighting, arguing with God. But we also see God's discipline of the people. In the upper story... God's discipline of his people was a gift of mercy to them. God's discipline of his people, the snakes, as hard as this is to understand, the snakes were an act of mercy towards God's people because it turned them back to him again. They were, they were, they were walking in the path of destruction. And God says, I'm going to mercifully provide snakes that will turn you away from your bitter complaining I think it's in verse 7 where we see the people repent. They turn back to God and say, we have sinned, we are wrong, we are, we, are, we are to blame for all these things. And in God's tender mercy, he turns the people back to himself again. For our story today, God continues to pursue a people who are hell-bent on doing things their own way, just like the children of Israel were. God continues to pursue us right where we are at. That no matter where, what we have done, where we have gone, what we've said, what we've thought, what we've seen, that God would meet us right where we are at and he would bra- draw us back to himself again. That is the mercy and the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't leave us where we are. And just like the Israelites, God used fiery serpents to turn them back to himself again God today brings us back to himself again over and over and over again. That is the hope of this church. That is the hope of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for the gift of life. 
God, that even though we may have some fiery serpents in our life, God, I pray that you would use those to bring us back to you again. God, bring us to a places of repentance. Lord, help us to find hope in you. Help us to continue to look to you with all of our lives. And God, we pray as we look forward to these missions trips this coming year. God, if you would send us, God, if you would call us, I pray that we would say yes. No matter the cost, God, no matter the hardship, no matter the difficulty, God, I ask that you would give us as a church the grace to say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.